0: Gospel Mysteries, Episode 10.
1: And We decided to take it easy on everybody this week. Do a very really light discussion. Something we should be able to just fly through without any issue at all.
0: The topic of the day is the atonement.
1: <laughs> the hardest part about this topic was, where do we even begin? Like, where do we start?
0: The biggest, most profound topic there is yeah and well that that was the question there's so many different aspects of the atonement so you know we could probably have a whole podcast just on the atonement (laughs) (laughs) so where do we begin what do we talk about what angle do we take um it was an interesting question we talked about it quite a bit we went back and forth on some different ideas and so one of the aspects that one approach we can take is just what is the atonement. Mm. And that's a really good <laughs> yeah. that's a really good approach. Um, you know, that would that would be more along the lines of, you know, like as 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 missionaries when we're teaching about Jesus Christ, we, we, talk, defining up, what yeah, we talk about yeah. the atonement and, and that in itself is I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of a gospel mystery in that, and yeah. truly understanding and what the atonement is, understanding physical death and spiritual death, and that you know, Gethsemane and and the cross, and how there's there's parallels to everything that Jesus did, and how that applies to different aspects of, of the plan of salvation, and then how physical death and spiritual death relate to to the fall, and how that all ties into our mortal experience. Um, but we ended up exploring some different avenues as well. We actually kept coming back to the Cleon Scalson talk called uh, The Meaning of the Atonement. Yeah. Yeah, The Meaning of the Atonement, where he takes uh, the approach, instead of talking about what is the atonement, he explores the how. How is the atonement? How does the atonement work?
1: Well, how and then why. Like be, Once you understand some of the the concepts he outlines it's like why did the atonement have to take place well it kind of gets explained when you understand um some of the foundations that he he sets forth in in his and his talk and it it has certainly been of worth to us to go through and really study that and study the scriptures that he clearly outlines that lead to the foundation of what he's discussing and then that has kind of opened up our minds and, and, and our hearts to kind of some even deeper thoughts and and, um, and clarifications in regards to the atonement that had just been of of worth to us and of value. And, it, and it's just really helped open us up to just how great and magnificent the atonement of Christ really is.
0: And the beautiful thing is when you start talking about the atonement and the plan of salvation, you can just, there's so much to get into and you can... I mean we we started talking about it and we we probably just spent an hour prepping to do this and yep. we kind of went down a whole lot of different conversations about uh, just about the eternal round of the plan of salvation and and how how is an eternal plan and um, I mean we're going to get into some of this but it just you can get so deep into it and it's very profound and then and there's so many aspects that can just you there's so many different aspects and areas that you can be enlightened on and how, and how you really apply into different aspects of, of that eternal nature of the plan of salvation. And and it's just amazing.
1: Well, I think we found tonight just in preparation for this kind of really going through and, and, you know, people don't hear and they don't see how we go back and forth. And we, I mean, we just kind of throw everything at the wall. We really just start thinking and, and throwing out all sorts of stuff and A lot of times stuff doesn't stick, but every now and then stuff does. And, and tonight, as we kind of discussed the atonement in particular, and and really got into some of the particulars, it's amazing to me how really discussing pondering and putting your heart into understanding the atonement is again, one of those topics in the gospel that opens the door to revelation and insight and inspiration and, and just Being fed by the Spirit, and it's little by little, line upon line. But you you start to receive truth, and you're able to start connecting dots. And Mm -hmm. some of those things are meant for you, you know, individually, personally. It's not stuff that you might go out and openly discuss with others. But then there's stuff that just totally changes your perspective, and you can start teaching and and discussing the atonement in different ways with other folks. That really is just impactful. And hopefully, we've got some of that lined up tonight
0: well what's amazing is that you discuss the atonement but the atonement ties into every other part yeah of the plan that's right right because it's central the atonement is central to the plan of salvation so and th- that was kind of that was kind of the question to begin with is yeah. like where do you where do we go
1: because, we've had this one on the list since like day one and yeah. then we've just kind of continued to think about what's the best approach to even begin with with a with an episode on the atonement and this is kind of where we settle for now, and I'm sure we'll have several more that we'll do after this.
0: So to get started, we're going to open up here 2 Nephi. Chapter 2, verse 14. And what we're gonna look at for the next several scriptures is we're looking at we're looking at agency and we're looking at the 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 eternal nature of, of intelligence, and this is giving insight into 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 who we are and what our experience is, and an agency
1: is is very critical and very important to the plan of salvation. And before we before you even get into the scripture here, I think we should s- set the the foundation and and the groundwork that one of the most um, consequential. Sermons that the prophet Joseph ever gave was the King Follett sermon, and one of the things he discusses in there, and intelligence is something that has existed for eternity. The, these these intelligence entities or, or, or beings, and and this is even before being put together and organized into into a um, you know kind of the human form that we are today. Intelligence has always existed; it is eternal, right? So, okay, what do we do with that? What do we where where do we go with that? And essentially that's kind of where we're starting. And well, why is it important to yeah. know that? Why why did why would he feel the need cuz that that sermon was given not too long before he was ultimately martyred. Why did he why did he feel the need to be discussing yeah. that kind of thing that late into his his ministry, and that, Why was that so pressing is, on his mind? Why, why was it is it weighing on him so much? And that's where this kind of gets into is this matters. You understand these fundamental pieces And you understand how the atonement is so impactful in everything, everything, Mm -hmm. not just us, but everything.
0: So Lehi is teaching here and he says, there is a God and he hath created all things, both the heavens and the earth and all things that in them are both things to act and things to be acted upon. So that's kind of the foundation of understanding just the nature of the universe. There are things that act and things that are acted upon. So
1: is it just humans that are making this choice to act or to be acted upon?
0: And obviously in our sphere, we know that we have a capability to act, but all life to some degree Mm
1: -hmm.
0: has capability to act.
1: Within the sphere was created.
0: Within the, that's right. Yeah. And then there are things that are, we can say, without, without life that can be acted upon. There, there is, there is element, there is things around us that we are able to make use of as part of our, our living experience on the earth. So there's, there's things to be acted upon and there are those beings that life that can act and so, as we get a little deeper into this, we go into Doctrine and Covenants 93. Man was also in the beginning with God. Intelligence, or the light of truth, was not created or made, neither indeed can be. All truth is independent in that sphere in which God has placed it to act for itself as all intelligence also. Otherwise, there is no existence. So, that's the doctrinal foundation right there, of what you were saying about et- um, intelligence being eternal. So, uh, and in, and all truth is independent in that sphere in which God has placed it. So, this is all just foundational. We're just... We're setting the framework that there are things that are eternal, as, e- as eternal as God, as eternal as truth itself. And this is an important framework to understanding just the plan of salvation. And that's what's leading up to the need of the atonement. But just understanding that there, is, there are things, there are beings, there, isn't, there is existence that is eternal, and there's an infinite amount right That's when we're saying eternal is really hard to comprehend but we're talking about we're talking about infinity we're talking about eternal and we're talking about intelligence and matter we're talking about essentially the the building blocks of life it's eternal it it, it goes if we're thinking in terms of space it's infinite. Yeah. it goes out forever and all of that, just exists it is but it is also the very fabric and framework that the gods use to establish what we call the plan of salvation or the the opportunity of of progression of gaining light and truth and happiness and and sharing of the glory that they partake
1: in well and even more specific to us today and, and, and the world in which we find ourselves is it's not just us that, that is made, made up of this intelligence, intelligence right? right? It's, it, it is it is everything around us mm-hmm. everything that has been organized to allow us to exist in a state in which we can act and choose for ourselves which direction we want to go. Everything that makes up this existence is made up of intelligence, right? right. These the, these the intelligence, intelligence entities that um that, that God has has organized and put into a specific sphere and to then allow them to act and to be agents to act in the sphere in which they were organized in. And this is we we discussed this a little bit beforehand. We're not gonna to get too deep into this now, but this is very symbolically represented in in, in the temple and in the endowment session and kind of this each thing being organized, being put in its proper place, mm-hmm. is a is an intelligence, um, an, an intelligent being.
0: Well, that's what we see the creation yeah. of the world. There's different. There's several days and different phases of creation, of from plants to animals and ultimately to man, and that's all organization of the, of the same intelligence. As intelligence is just intelligence. It's all the same. Intelligence is intelligence but it can be organized in different ways and in different spheres, right? As, as different types of life. And the organization that we are experiencing is in the image of God, right? It is a fullness of, of organization. It's a fullness of agency and the ability to act. And it's important, there's important concepts here that, I mean, even the Doctrine and Covenants talks about is just, is that matter is eternal, and intelligence is eternal, but it can be organized in different ways, and it—an intelligence at its core. We've got we've got the seer back here, Orson Pratt. He talked about he, he talked a lot about this because I mean, now he had he had his own theories. Um, you know the that did not make it into canon, um, but his opinion. Uh, he he viewed intelligence as as building blocks. So just as just as matter has has atoms, right? Atoms are the building block of of matter. He viewed intelligence in the same way. So um, today we know that there's things actually much smaller than atoms, right? So the, he communicated just with the knowledge that scientific knowledge that they had at the time. But what we can understand is that there are there are fundamental particles let's say, of intelligence. That intelligence exists. It is something that exists. And intelligence is a thing. It's not something that we can see or observe. It's much much finer matters, much smaller and metaphysical, you might say, than what we can observe with our eyes. But intelligence is something that exists. It is. It is eternal. And intelligence... Just the same way as atoms can combine with other atoms and make different elements, intelligences work the same way. Intelligences, they, they each have a capacity to act individually, but they can combine or be organized with other intelligences into different types of life. And in that organization, they act together as a single organism, a single life, a single identity. So we see that whether it's plant or animal, or man, that is what we see happening in in the physical world. But that's what we that's that's the physics of the universe that we live in. Is that intelligence and matter, whether it's spirit matter, physical matter. Those things are are being organized together, and life is being created and propagated through the natural mechanisms
1: of, of existence. Yeah, I think. Clausen, he says, does he, what does he use the term that, you know, This kind of the science of God or, or basically this is essentially, this is the process and, and the order in which God starts to put in motion these things that it's not mysticism. It's not magic. There's, there's nothing mythical about any of this. Mm-hmm. It's simply the way in which spiritual and physical matter is organized and then put into motion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Given that that life and that ability to begin to move, you know, and, that, and that's essentially what God does is he, he puts that into existence. He organizes things in such a way in which all of these parts work in harmony to to lead to a common goal. And what is that common goal? Going back to what we said at the beginning, it is this, it, it leads to the atonement because these these goals are all part of the plan of salvation. We're going to talk about that here as we go along but but ultimately every intelligent intelligence every bit of intelligence around us it has a vested interest in the father and in who he is and in the son and who he is and the plan in which they've executed because every
0: intelligence what 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 does intelligence want it wants to progress it wants to become more intelligent it wants to have more capacities it wants to be able to act in further ways to be more autonomous to have to have more agency essentially more 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 happiness with its ability to act and choose and and discern and the plan of salvation exists for that reason to allow intelligence to progress and you know when we read the Lord says His work and His glory is to bring to pass immortality and eternal life of man. Well, that's the that's the culmination. That's the fullness of the plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. That's that's the, not excluding well, everything. But that's else. the end result yeah. of of what these intelligences are seeking and and dreaming and hoping to go through and to become. Yeah. Right. The the goal of all intelligence is to progress. Should be yeah. <laughs> to progress towards the image of God. Yeah. To to that that ideal, and well what we learn is that those intelligences they have a vested interest with the Lord to to participate in making the world a reality so that the plan of salvation can happen for those intelligences that are currently organized and going through going through mortal probation.
1: Well and we see this in the physical world around us too and don't it, I'm not the biology expert here but or or chemistry but when we see how how matter how the physical world around us operates these 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 elements these particles these 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 chemicals they're always seeking to come back into balance right they're seeking to to get back to where they know they should be the culmination of what they're designed for right and when things get out of balance that creates problems and they seek that then to come back to that in which they were created to be. An equilibrium. Right? An, an equilibrium, right. And that's exactly what these intelligences are doing. You know, these, these particles that make up life, they're seeking to do the same thing, to get back to that that stasis in which they are maximizing the sphere in which they've been been designed and, and designated. That
0: they're able to progress yeah. and then taking advantage of that progression right. and that ex- those ex- experiences that they're going through. Yeah. Um, Let's hop over to Abraham chapter 3, and the Lord said unto me, these two facts do exist, that there are two spirits, one being more intelligent than the other. There shall be another one, another more intelligent than they. I am the Lord thy God. I am more intelligent than they all. So what we see What the Lord revealed to Abraham is that, well, once spirits, right, are an organization, a culmination of intelligences, so one spirit can be more intelligent than another spirit because the intelligences that make up that that spirit has, each spirit has a unique um, set of intelligence that has, that have unique experiences that have gone through a unique history of eternities and have progressed each each intelligence has progressed individually in different ways so when we organize when, it, when a spirit is organized and it has a unique set of intelligences that's a unique identity that has a unique history and just because of of the uniqueness of of that history each spirit's going to be at a different level there's going to be, there's going to be some that have intelligences that have already learned to live higher laws Willingly, and there's going to be some spirits that have not gone through sufficient experience to really uh, immediately gravitate towards living those higher laws, and of course that matches our experience of what we see around us. That there are some people who are naturally more inclined to gravitate towards the gospel and towards higher celestial laws, and there are others who it's a, it's a longer journey to get there.
1: And this is, you know, again going back to why did why did Joseph take the time to to teach this shortly before he was, he was martyred. And he, he had an indication that his time was running short, you know, so it wasn't as though he was operating as if he had years and years and years left, but one of the things we see is this is a, this is a significant departure in what, what the restoration of the gospel teaches, as opposed to what most Christian or, or, or other religious faiths teach, where you are just kind of created out of nothing. It's like, no, that's, that's not exactly how it, it works. Not that we are at odds completely with that teaching because the identity in which you are now, this culmination of intelligences in the form in which you are as an individual is unique. It has never existed before. There's something very special in, in so many ways about who you are as an individual. But that doesn't mean the substance in which comprises you, these, in, these intelligences, these building blocks that form you, they have always existed. They have They are eternal and they have sought to continue to progress eternally. So that is a vast departure from what other Christian churches teach. However, the unique identity in which you are today, that is... Not out like, like it's, it's not, not out of nothing. nothing it wasn't created out of nothing, but it is unique and it did not exist before that that as we discuss the atonement, that's something to consider that we are the culmination of these intelligences progressing throughout eternities to get to this place in which they are now part of and make up who we are as a unique identity and it it adds the extra level of of desire and, and um, hope to continue to progress and continue to move forward in this great plan that the father has established for his children.
0: Oh, and that's important for just, it's very sacred to understand that we are eternal. Our bodies are not eternal. Our, our spirits and our, the our unique identities are not necessarily eternal but the intelligence that makes us is eternal. The building blocks of, of, of what we are are eternal and have gone through an eternity of experiences. And that's special and that's sacred because to say that we, what makes us up is eternal, that, I mean, we're saying as eternal, as God the Father. That's a very sacred and solemn thing to ponder and to consider. Now, of course... We're not as we're not we're not developed. We do not have the perfections and attributes uh, as the Father at this time. But what we learn is that we have the same potential. Yeah. We have the potential to grow, to advance, to become more intelligent, and progress to become more like God, and event, eventually, like God.
1: Yeah. Well, this this really deepens the um, the command that the Lord gives Adam and Eve in the garden, right? When he's basically showing them everything, and what does he tell them to do with it? He says, subdue this, control this, put things or keep things in their proper place, right? So if we if we take that and apply it individually, uniquely, what, what is God really telling them? Meaning you have been given this state in which these intelligence have been organized to give you life to give you life that has the potential to be like me learn to control and subdue these intelligences so that everything acts in unity and in harmony that is that is such an incredible responsibility and burden however it leads to the greatest and 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 most significant blessing that the father can give right we are so far along in that journey of what the Father is seeking to do, that this command to subdue, to control, to, to, to act in a way in which we have liberty and agency to act, that we haven't tied ourselves down by inappropriate or, or ill-advised choices, that, we, that we, we've actually removed the agency from us, right? We've taken the sphere in which we found ourselves, and we have learned to act in accordance with God's will, We have exercised proper dominion, first and foremost, over ourselves and and over the intelligences which make us up, right? And that's what God is ultimately trying to get Adam and Eve to do, is to learn to control what they have been organized with Mm -hmm. and what they have been given, first and foremost. And if they can do that, then the rest is endless. Everything else they can achieve is is endless. And, And ultimately, that leads to, well, now we need a savior, right? Because we'll not, will not always do that perfectly. And, and we'll discuss how that fits in, but you can see how understanding the building blocks of we are made of these intelligences. And one of the first commands God gives Adam and Eve is now subdue, subdue what you've been given dominion over. And the first thing we've been given dominion over is ourselves and this current makeup, this current identity that we are. Doesn't, don't seek to change who we are. Don't seek to to um, minimize or belittle who we are. We are who we are for a reason. It's unique, and we need to embrace it, but we need to learn to put it in its proper place and control it appropriately.
0: And we learn through the creation narrative, you know, it's, it's not an accident that a third of the endowment ceremony is just the creation. Because what we learn is that the intelligences that make us up have gone through an eternity of transformations and experiences. And they've gone through that eternity of transformations and experiences to get here, to get to where they are, to to be formed in the image of God. So we should we should treat our identities and and these bodies and what we have and this experience as the most sacred gift that one could have because to be organized and created in the image of god is the is the most sacred perhaps the most the most rare experience of the plan of salvation and we are living in and experiencing it now in a very real way yeah that has very real consequences but also in a way that we can take full advantage of it and really experience the power and the joy of of being, and
1: one what, and what of the one of the terrible or difficult things about living in the world is the world is so good at making us feel like everyone's doing this, or you're really not special, you're really not unique. This is just a part of existence, right? And and that is not what the Father or the Son seek to instill within us at all, is that they are consistently trying to show us in in every ritual, every aspect of the, of the gospel, all of the commandments, all of the doctrine, all the ordinances we participate in is, no, this is a unique time to be, it is a unique experience in which you're going through and that we are called to take advantage of, it, right? In fact, it's such a unique experience and so important that those of us who have this truth in this light, what are we called to do with it, to go give it to as many people as will take it and, and receive it, right? As many people as will listen right? We're commanded to do that. And, and so that is ultimately what we have to remember is in the mundane, in the day-to-day and what we're doing with work and, and, and with school or, or whatever else we may be going through, we have to remember that this experience we're going through is a once and an eternity experience. I mean, this is such a unique place to find ourselves that we must take advantage of it and really look to the Savior and say, How can I maximize what I have been given, this gift, this temple that we have as our, as our physical and spiritual body we've been blessed with? How do we perfect and take advantage of all that is being given to us? Because this unique identity, this unique culmination of these intelligences and who you are or who I am today, it's the only time it's ever going to exist. And we have got to take advantage of it and allow the atonement to really perfect it, and we'll we'll continue to discuss that, but that's ultimately what we're driving towards. And it's a difficult subject to discuss because
0: it's very it can be very abstract. We're talking about eternity, we're talking about intelligences, so we're we've taken our time to try to ex- lay a foundation, ex- explain it the best we can. Yeah, um, that can be easily understood, and also to avoid speculation on things outside of what is in scripture yeah. and 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 what is officially doctrine, but. Um, it's important to contemplate and to ponder these things because the, these are building blocks. These are fun, foundational understandings of who we are as children of God and being created in the image of God. It's, it's very significant. And the, the more you start to understand it and put it together in the plan of salvation, it has very real meaning to our purpose. And how to take advantage of, of, of being here. And when when Christ was with, with the Pharisees and he declared himself as, you know, as the Son of Man, and he had he used phrases to recognize the glory that he had and, and who he was, they would they called him out for blasphemy. And he quoted the old testament and he said, Your poet said, Ye are gods, children of the most high. This is what Christ was teaching when he, said, when he quoted the scripture saying that we are gods. He's saying we are created in the image of God. We, have, we, are, we are fundamentally intelligence, which is God. Right? It's, it's eternal. It's eternal. It, it, we have the capacity of God in us to grow in intelligence line upon line, little by little. I mean, that was, that was the perfect example of Jesus Christ is that man can grow in intelligence and attain the fullness of truth. Yeah. He is the example of what we can obtain, um, the, the fullness of what we can obtain, whats what we're capable of. And, and, of course, we are in a different situation than he because we have sin and, and we are in need of redemption. And the atonement but regardless our potential is the same through him our potential is is the same we can receive a fullness of truth as he did and through him
1: we can get there and we can do that and and when christ commands be perfect he's not necessarily saying that's what you must do right now this is more him telling us this is who you have the the capability of being. That's where we're heading. That's what we're becoming. And that's essentially what it's saying is you must become perfect as I am perfect. Right. And he, And he knew that there was a process to obtain that, but that the process exists and that we, by following him, can obtain that. And then once we obtain all that the father has, which the son has inherited, we will have right. right. I mean, there's no limit to the the logical uh, conclusion to the command, "Be ye perfect." Well, once we get there, what what limits us from being like Christ and being like the Father? Nothing at that point, right? And but but how do we get there? Being that we're fallen men and women, and that we have issues, and we and we sin, and we make mistakes. Like what actually allows us to get to that point?
0: In Abraham, chapter four. We have an account of the creation. And what do we see happening? We see God, we see the gods giving orders for the different stages of the creation. And after the gods gave the orders, what do we see? The gods watched those things which they had ordered until they obeyed. So what were they, what what was obeying God's orders, right? In this, in this particular verse, we're talking about the expanse in the heavens, the lights uh, being placed upon the earth to rule the day, the light, the sun, the moon, different organization of the earth. But we, as as we go up, we're talking. There's there's every day of uh, of the creation, right? Um, the trees from uh, from seeds were commanded to come forth, and the gods saw that they were obeyed. So whether it's whether it's the earth itself being formed, whether it's plants coming forth from seed, whether it's the animals being put on the earth and commanded to uh, uh, multiply within their sphere, whether whichever phase of creation we're dealing with, we're seeing that orders were given, and and that those intelligences that were being organized and placed on the earth were obeying orders. They were they were living according to the laws of the spheres in which they were they were placed but they were acting there's there's a degree of intelligence or a degree of agency being applied there they were obeying orders and this is very this is this is crucial right this isn't crucial to understanding the nature of intelligence that it's we're not just talking about man we're talking about the creation everything every aspect of the creation exists as
1: part of the plan of salvation. And, and nothing, nothing exists based out of compulsion, that it is forced to obey. That is not what the scriptures are saying here in Abraham. It's actually saying the exact opposite that they watched and observed essentially to, to ensure and to wait until everything did obey. Right. Because the, the aspect of the component of agency exists at every level of intelligence, right? That it's not unique to us. Everything acts in agency. Some things act in agency much better than we do at times, but all things around us, all things God has created has been given agency to act in the sphere in which they are created or or organized is a better word mm-hmm. for that. And so that, that idea of agency versus compulsion that righteousness versus wickedness, that opposition exists at every level of all that we see around us and and all interactions that God creates have those two um, opposing sides working working in tandem. But it's important to understand that the world,
0: right, the rocks, the trees, the animals, they're willing participants in the plan. They obey God. They are God's creations, and they live according to the laws in which they're given, and, and 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 this is important because we have because it leads to the question: to why? Why do why would lower intelligences that are in less organized, less intelligent, less capable spheres? Why do they? obey God
1: yeah when they're not being compulsed to do it
0: why do they're being forced to do it why would they willingly Mm -hmm. obey God um what what do they get out of it or 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 who is right who is he to them for them to to be so obedient to Mm -hmm. obey and to participate so willingly and so perfectly in the plan of salvation and the answer to that question of course lies in in the nature of who God is who who he his character, his attributes. Uh, he as an individual, who he is. And it's interesting, we get some insight into that. Let's see, in Doctrine and Covenants, is a verse talking about um, the war in heaven. And it came to pass that Adam being tempted of the devil, for behold, the devil was before Adam, for he rebelled against me, saying, Give me thine honor. Which is my power. And also, third part of the hosts of heaven turned he away from me because of their agency. Okay, so seeing the war in heaven, we're seeing that there was agency there as well. But we see an interesting insight into the nature and the character and the attributes of God based on the request that, that the devil, that Lucifer, made. He said, Give me thine honor. And then he said, which is my power? So, obviously, priesthood, authority, can only come from God, from a a being that has all power, that has the ability to give orders and, and to be obeyed. But why does God have that capability, to give orders and to be obeyed? Well, it all roots in his honor, or his integrity. It all roots in the fact that If God gives his word, he perfectly executes on that word. God is good on his promises and he has an eternity of existence showing that he is in fact good on that.
1: He does not he does not deviate, right? That's one of the things God talks about. He doesn't deviate from that. And and that the other aspect to that not only does he have integrity, but that his plan, his purpose is for the benefit of all. Intelligences. Mm-hmm. All intelligent life is to benefit from what He has laid laid forth in in this plan. It's not just for you and I, as as sons and daughters made in His image. This plan, when properly executed, benefits all of the eternal intelligences that are are around and organized by God's hand.
0: Hopefully, this isn't too speculative to talk about, but but before we started filming this is something that we were talking about is the perfection of the plan of salvation is that it applies to all intelligences it applies to inferior intelligences the work of God is to exalt inferior intelligences to to condescend down to reach down to inferior lower intelligences and lift them up and give them opportunity to use their intelligence their ability to act agency to to grow in discernment and the ability to reject what darkness and 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 accumulate light and truth that's that's the beauty and glory of the plan of salvation is that it applies to all intelligences and all intelligences regardless of where they are what sphere they're in how 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 much growth they've gone through how much experience they can they can all participate somewhere in the plan.
1: Well, and that's why they have a vested interest in, in obeying and being part of what God has laid forth, right? Because they ultimately benefit too from everything that is happening and everything that is taking place, right? So it's not as though, you know, what we are experiencing is completely different from and, and has no bearing on what all of existence is going through right now. Everything God does, nothing is wasted. Right, nothing is wasted at God's hand. Everything is done with a purpose, including all that is created around us, and all of those things have a have a vested interest in seeing God's plan be successful.
0: Mm-hmm. And and we speculated a little bit on, well, what was the, what was the counter argument? Was the counter plan that Lucifer provided? Because yeah. we know that the the, that Jehovah stepped forward and was one with the Father. Yeah and agreed that the plan that benefits all intelligences was correct, (laughs) was was the plan that works. But there was an alternative plan presented, and we normally interpret that as saying um, that it was a plan of removing agency. Um, We interpret that as coercion, meaning there would be, uh, children of God would be forced into obedience um, but we were kind of speculating on maybe, you know, m- maybe there was an angle to that plan that actually was exclusionary. Mm-hmm. That maybe the the, the plan of Lucifer was presenting was a little more sinister in the fact that maybe it didn't even give a certain degree of lower intelligences opportunity to participate at all yeah. in the plan of salvation. It might have been more elitist yeah. in nature where only greater intelligences and greater spirits that had capacity mm-hmm. could fulfill the measure of their creation fulfill their measure of creation yeah. would be participants in the plan and go forward and and that was a very interesting thing to to contemplate on because you can imagine if that was the scenario if that's what was being presented or if that's what actually was accepted as the plan, there would be a complete rebellion in the order of the universe, yeah. Because all of these inferior, lower intelligences that make up the matter that's organized around us and the planets and, 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 and the universe. They'd
1: be damned at that if point.
0: If they were excluded from elements of the plan of salvation, if there was not a fullness of opportunity for those intelligences to progress, they would have no reason at all to participate yeah. and, to and obey, obey God yeah. at all. So what, what so what that means is essentially that God would cease to be God. Yeah. He wouldn't be good on his word and his capability yeah. to exalt and, and to and to and there would be no reason for intelligences to be participants in the universal and, and eternal plan of salvation at all. And so the character of God, the fact that he has charity and love and that his work and his glory is condescending and reaching down and lifting lower intelligences up including us in that that is the reason that he is obeyed and he is universally loved by all the intelligences in the universe yeah. because they recognize his his power but also his love and capability um, in in helping them progress
1: yeah well it it this this makes it really a complete plan, right? It's really a fullness. And that's that's ultimately what, what we're saying is that as we expand upon the conditions in which an atonement was going to be necessary, we're trying to set a foundation that we get so focused on us as, as individuals and, and other sons and daughters of God. But when we talk about the atonement being infinite and eternal, it, what it, what we're trying to say is this is this is bigger and beyond just us and what we need and that's an important part of it that's an important component of it but everything around us would be in utter rebellion if the plan did not also have an effect to whichever degree it, it's allowed to on them and and on their progression as well and, and on their eternal welfare and and the fact that it does, have an effect on all of the intelligence, all that God has organized. It brings in perfect unity and harmony, everything working towards one goal, a unified goal, right? That has kind of a Zionist type feel to it, but that's the point. Everything working in in one accord to move towards the, the glory and the light that God is and that he's willing to offer.
0: So from here, where'd we go? Well, we understand we understand the intelligences. We understand why the universe is organized and why these intelligences follow God. And now we're starting to understand the plan of salvation a little better and how we fit into it, how we got here, the fact that we're here. What, so now the next question is, you know, what are we experiencing? How do we get to where we want to go from here? How do we now work towards the presence of God or towards celestial glory? what is what is needed from us? and the a critical part of the plan of salvation is these is is the eternal laws that exist between justice and mercy. So that is these are two concepts that we also have to exist to understand the need of the atonement. First, um justice, let me pull up here. Alma, 42, Therefore, according to justice, the plan of redemption could not be brought about, only on conditions of repentance of men in this probationary state, yea, this preparatory state. For except it were for those conditions, mercy could not take effect, except it should destroy the work of justice. Now, the work of justice could not be destroyed. If so, God would cease to be God. So we have... We have justice, meaning if we want to live in a celestial society, we have to be celestial beings. If we want to live amongst perfection, we need to be perfect. That's that's a law.
1: Yeah. When God says, I cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance... He's not saying it because I just, I, I just don't like it. He doesn't like it. But what he's saying is like, no, you literally cannot abide mm-hmm. where I and others like me abide. It's a natural like, law. Yeah. It's, it's a physical it's law. It's not, there's eternal nothing law. he can do about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just is. That That's one of the conditions of 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 God. And, and again, this might be another area where we differ a little bit from our other Christian brothers and sisters is we don't pretend as though there are no limitations upon, upon God or that, that there is nothing that says there are boundaries here that must be worked within, right? God works within boundaries perfectly and for the benefit of all of his organizations, right? But those boundaries exist and he cannot abide outside of those boundaries. Cause if he were to step outside of that boundary, he would now cease to be mm-hmm. who he is, right? And then everything around us, all these intelligence, he has no more integrity. We would not obey him. We would not follow him. There would be outright chaos and right. rebellion. And that,
0: that's what it's saying here is that there are laws, and that's justice. These laws have to be met. That's it's just how it is. And mercy could not work in um, so without conditions of repentance. So. There, there are these boundaries. There, there, there's ways that that mercy can work, but mercy just for the sake of mercy, meaning ah, I'll let them in anyways. Yeah,
1: exactly right. <laughs> that doesn't work. Yeah. It just doesn't work. That's the eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, and God will strike, you know, strike us with a few. He'll forget, you know, a few strikes, and we'll be okay. We'll be forgiven. It's like no, that's not what this is that here. just it cannot work. I mean, God might even like. Yeah, he might <laughs> he be could. sympathetic towards, yeah, boy, would that be nice? <laughs> it would be nice. But even he is saying that's, that is not the way in which these eternal laws, these eternal boundaries, that's not how they operate. But what
0: we see is that mercy does allow for us to become perfect and then be accepted. And through repentance, right, there is a mechanism through the atonement where we can be considered perfect, even though we have a past that is less than perfect. And that's mercy yeah that's that's the aspect of mercy that's that still makes it compatible with justice um and it has to be that way or God would cease to be
1: God this takes me back to one of our earlier um gospel mysteries podcast that we did where we talked about mercy and 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 the premise that we we use there was that mercy was always the plan right and we didn't really have time and, and the opportunity to kind of expound upon and extrapolate what, what do we mean by that? Meaning if there are all these lesser intelligences that God is seeking to help progress and to perfect, and ultimately in a form in which they are sons and daughters, spiritual sons and daughters of him, where we can now become like him. If he's seeking to bring all these lesser intelligences up to the level in which they can now be like him, mercy must Always be the, always be part of the plan. Yeah. That must always be part because if there was no mercy, yeah. they would have to be perfect to begin yes. with. Yes. He couldn't take a lesser, a lesser entity, a lesser intelligence, well, a lesser
0: light. That, to bring it, it up. that is that elitist yes. mindset that we were s- saying, suggesting that perhaps Lucifer was bringing to the table. Exactly right. It's like oh let let's let's just exalt the intelligence that are already worthy of exaltation. Yep. like that's that meets justice.
1: Yeah, it does meet.
0: Justice. There's, but there's no mercy in that whatsoever. There is no mercy. There's no need for a savior. There's no need for redemption. It's exclusionary. It's elitist. But mercy makes the plan universal. Yes. It makes it eternal. It makes it infinite. Infinite. It makes it perfect. And further down in the chapter 42, it says, do you suppose that mercy can rob justice? No. Mercy cannot rob justice. So... There still needs to be progression. There still needs to be repentance. There needs to be an atonement. There needs to be a Savior presented in order for mercy to be compatible yeah. with justice. But mercy is essential, and mercy was the plan from the beginning, yep. which is why when the plan was presented, Jehovah immediately presented the the as a savior yeah and because that was the plan yeah that was the plan from the beginning it was not an accident that the fall happened in the garden of eden and what are we going to do now yeah plan <laughs> b <laughs> that's D- not did work it's not how it works it's not how it ever worked it's not how it will work yeah the mercy is the plan yeah. grace is the plan
1: this is the way it works in every eternity and it's always the way
0: and it if, if it and if you tried to do it any other way, the universe itself would rebel. Yeah, exactly right. Right. It would cease to obey because. The
1: plan benefits all.
0: Right. The, that's why it works. Mm-hmm. It's because it's perfect and because it's it, it it's inclusive yep. to all intelligence.
1: And it, it, it's just beautiful. And if it's so perfect. if we're talking about inclusion and inclusivity and that kind of hot button word of, of the day, you know, really the first one to do that. And the one that does that in its completeness is the father. I mean, he literally has created a plan that takes all of the intelligence he has organized and includes all of them in this work of salvation. It's the reason we are here. Yes. None are left behind
0: because through another standards, we would not have been worthy to be considered at some point in our past, but because of the father, because of the plan of mercy we are able to be here now and have opportunities to progress and that applies to every single one of us yeah we are all god's children we're all equally we all are equal partakers in his love and we are all equal partakers in the opportunity of progression that that he that he provides
1: you know one of the things that i've always found very interesting and we've talked about this concept before of these these intelligences and what was joseph trying to teach in regards to these intelligences being being eternal and and these intelligences being organized and and eventually being organized in demand as, as as we are today and but I think about the intelligences that are not to that state to where they could be organized in demand yet who who maybe are of a lesser intelligence you know and and I look at the world around us and I start to maybe have a different appreciation for an understanding of some of these other cultures and, and ancient beliefs. And uh, you know, I look at the Native Americans and how they valued the land around them and, and the water and these sacred places. And, and it's almost as if they had an eye that was more akin to looking at life and God's creation as these, these intelligences that are all seeking to progress and to yeah. um, to maximize they saw, what they've been given. They saw the sacred and they saw the eternal and yes. everything around them. Yes, correct. And there's so much truth. There's a that. lot of truth in that. You know, and this and this certainly points to that in that God's plan is for all of his creations. It's for everything he has organized. And and the Savior's atonement is the same. It is for all of those those creations in the sphere in which they need it and require it, right? So we can look a little more
0: in Alma, hold this up here, 34. It is expedient that an atonement should be made for according to the great plan of the eternal God, there must be an atonement made or else all mankind must unavoidably perish. Yea, all are hardened. Yea, all are fallen and are lost and must perish, except it be through the atonement, which it is expedient should be made. So this is speaking to the fact that if, if it was just justice, God himself, the Father, would not be able to save us. We would not be able to progress to where he is and, and from where we were. It just would not be possible because of those bounds and those laws that, ex- that, that exist that that God himself follows uh, because of the perfections that he has and the attributes that he has it has to be that way so an atonement must be made mercy must be part of the plan now there is not any man that can sacrifice his own blood which will atone for the sins of another now if a man murdereth behold will our law which is just take the life of his brother I say unto you nay and thus, let's be 14, and behold, this is the whole meaning of the law, pointing to a great and last sacrifice. The great and last sacrifice will be the Son of God, yea, infinite and eternal. And thus he shall bring salvation to all those who shall believe on his name, this being the intent of this last sacrifice, to bring about the bowels of mercy and to overpower justice and bring about means unto men that they may have faith Unto repentance. Great explanations here about about justice and, and mercy, and interesting. So he's saying like no man can sacrifice his own blood to atone for the sins of the other. If if if, if you murder a person, they're not gonna they're not gonna take the life of that guy, the murderer's brother and say okay, every debts are paid. That doesn't make sense. And and why not? Well, because we're all we're all equally sinful. We're all equally imperfect. That that doesn't even make sense, right? Uh, it just doesn't make sense that. Um, an interesting thing would be. So let's say you were at you were at trial, right? And and, and the defense brings in the brother of the murderer and says he's willing to 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 go to jail, on behalf of his brother as the murderer. Right the that the, that would get a laugh. Yeah, like, that doesn't even make sense. But what would be crazy is if someone of a very, someone very important, if someone very influential, let's say uh, the president of the United States or let's say uh, the the king of the nation comes in and says, "I'm willing to go to jail that this that this man may be free." Well, that's got weight to it. Yeah, that's. I mean let's say it's the king or the president someone who, who is responsible for the execution of the law. <coughs> you may say that's not correct. But that's got weight behind it. That all of a sudden you all of a sudden you have people considering why? Yeah. What what's what's so important about this man that that the president would come in here and be willing to go to go to prison so that he may Like what what even though he he committed this big sin does he have something so great to offer society that he needs to be among us? As it, like it, it, it's, it forces the question of what? Why? Why is this? Why is someone so great and so noble and so powerful? Why are they willing to to sacrifice all they have for for this murderer, this person who doesn't deserve any any mercy at all? And so, we, very different scenario than just some Joe 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 Schmo. Coming in and say, "Oh, I'll go to I'll go to jail for that person." No weight whatsoever, nothing, to, nothing to consider. So that that's kind of the scenario we're shifting into, as to as to why and how Jesus was able to be this great last sacrifice that the law of Moses pointed to. Because if it was a man, a normal man, if it was you or I,
1: has no weight behind
0: it. Has no weight. Has no meaning. Um, it would it would do nothing. Um, you, you, you could sacrifice all men on Earth, and there would, there would be no value. Yeah. Because we're all in the same boat, right? There, we have nothing to offer the universe, right? There's nothing. There's there's no weight or importance behind who we are in that sense.
1: Well, and taking your analogy even a step further, if the king came in and he was a wicked king, then people might laugh at it and say that that doesn't matter. or, Or it means nothing to us if you're willing to do it because we don't like you anyways, right? But if the king stepped in and let's say that king happened to be a perfect king, one who had always done everything right by his people, whatever the situation was, whatever, whatever demand for justice was seeking to be satisfied, there's instantly a level of reverence given. When somebody at that level with that level of perfection and love and charity and service says, I will do it on behalf of so-and-so, you know, now all of a sudden you don't just laugh at it and you don't mock it. You say, okay, wait, there's something here. There's weight and authority here. Why are they doing this? What are they understand that I don't understand because I have respect and, Mm -hmm. and I honor this person because I know who they are. So, what do they see that I don't see? You know, what are they, why are they willing to do this when I wanted to throw the book at them? You know?
0: Well, I'll, and let's take it one step further still. Let's say that Universal King steps into the courtroom. He's universally loved. And then he steps into the courtroom and demands that he be put in prison in place of the other. Not suggest, but he comes in with, so, Like that would, everyone who was in that room would be taken aback. Yeah. And they would, they, in a sense, they would be devastated, but at the same time, they would honor it because they have so much love and respect for this, for this just king. Yeah. And that's, I think that's, I think we're getting closer to the picture of, of what was happening here with, with Jesus and why he was able to perform that atonement for us. Yeah. And that goes back to who, who is Jesus? Yeah. What makes him special? Why was he able to offer himself and be that great and last sacrifice? And well, it's what Alma says here: He's the Son of God, meaning the only begotten mm-hmm. of the Father, the literal Son yeah. of God the Father. And there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot to unpack with what that actually means. Yeah. But but what we know is Jesus declared himself as the great I am, Jehovah, meaning he had with him, he attained to a fullness of light and truth. He was viewed by the intelligences. He was universally respected and loved and viewed as a savior and a God. Mm. He was, satisfied all the demands of justice. He was not a peer yeah. to lower intelligence. Mm-hmm he was the author of the plan yeah. and he had a history of perfection yeah. and of of being true and, and integral to his word mm-hmm. and his capacity to make the plan work and to make good on the purpose of the plan of bringing progression exaltation to lower
1: intelligences well and, and here when it when it says mercy which overpowerth justice first I just like the imagery and and the concept of there is something greater than justice as important as that is in those boundaries that we discussed those boundaries must be in place but the thing greater than justice is mercy one that teaches us from an individual personal perspective there are times in our life when we seek out and want justice you know we want to demand that as well but there is a greater force in the universe than justice and that is mercy we need to remember that but two, as you were alluding to, it is, it is absolutely fascinating that Christ, who perf- perfectly satisfied the demands of justice, now basically went to, to everything, all elements, all intelligences, and said, trust me on this. Trust me. There will be those who have sinned or those who have made mistakes who we are going to exalt on high. We are going to bring into a celestial state of being and although there might be reservations on some of those intelligences like wait a minute what are we doing here they cannot deny who he is and how he perfectly satisfies the demand of justice and his honor and integrity is perfect so they would then have to trust his judgment they would have to trust uh, trust him as the mediator of any and all things that he is looking to to uplift and exalt and and bring into a higher light and state of being.
0: Well, it's really profound to me, it's really interesting, is that you you have a celestial society, you have gods, and we know by nature of the plan of salvation being an eternal round, meaning it's the same path for all. So you have celestial beings, that are there in celestial glory, in the celestial kingdom. And they are already there by way of redemption. Mm. They've gone through the plant. Yep. They know what redemption is. They know what it means because they're participants of it. Yep. And then you have a, a being that is a God that is worthy of exaltation on his own. Jesus did not need a savior. Jesus could have gone back to the presence of the father. Yeah. On his own, there was, he did not have to do what he did on our behalf. He was worthy of the fast track to exaltation. He had the fast pass. Yes. (laughs) And so, so he chose Gethsemane and he chose the cross He chose the bitter cup. And now when that man appears as our advocate to that jury, and they recognize him as greater than they, that has power. And that is how mercy overpowers justice. Because... They are, they are not, that jury, that judge, is not in a position anymore to make demands because Jesus himself is greater than they are. Yeah. At, in that moment, in that place with who he is and who they are, mercy is more powerful, it is more pure, it is greater than justice. And that can only happen, that is only possible because of who Jesus is, who he was the way he was created but more importantly the way he chose to live his life perfectly the agency that he brought with him the the high level of intelligence that he was and the perfection in which he received accepted and lived higher law perfectly that there's no other way that this works other than jesus doing all of that and executing perfectly, and being who he is. Jehovah, the great I am, the eternal fullness of truth. That is the only way that the plan works, is that that being, that man, willingly going through what he went through, willingly accepting the Father's will, and performing the work. Yeah. That's the atonement. It's... When you talk about what is the atonement, we're always talking about the suffering, the bleeding at every pore, the cross. He did all that. But it's not just that he did it. It's who he was having done it. Yeah, That is the atonement. That is the how and that is the why it works. It's all in who he is. the nature, the character of, of Jesus Christ himself. That is the focus of the atonement that's why it works
1: and that's why others have been crucified others have gone through tremendous suffering others have had trials and, and tribulations that are significant and have been through horrible terrible things but no other has been born with the 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 rights the 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 opportunities the ability to exalt himself and essentially leave others behind, which would not have been wrong on his part. He, he had every right to live perfectly and qualify for celestial glory. But then when you add on top of that, his willingness then to turn and, and everything being outward facing for him, everything being about each of us and all of God's organizations and and creations to bring up, to elevate and to perfect all that will come unto him. That adds just a whole, it it adds a whole nother level to all that he is, right? Because he, his condescension was also his humility in turning around to the rest of us and looking upon us with, with compassion and with love and recognizing within us the value that we have and the potential we have to be like those, to potentially be like those he knew he was qualified to return and live with, right? He looked within us and said, they also have that potential. They just need a little, need need a little help. They need a little bit of a a lift here for those that are willing to reach out and to take my hand and allow me to lift them up to celestial spheres. Mm -hmm. He saw that within us and was willing to turn around and pull up as many as we'll reach out to him. That is that just adds another level of empathy and of charity. That Christ like love. I mean, that's what we're talking about, was have Christ like love, meaning yes, you could go on and you would be justified in going on the path that you're going on, but Christ like love is stopping, turning around on that path, knowing, you know, justice says you can keep going, but then turning around and stopping for somebody else for someone else who needs help along the way and somebody else who needs your assistance because maybe you're a little further along or maybe you have a little more light and knowledge than they have and they need somebody to help lift them up and get mm-hmm. them to a place where they can trust in the Savior the there's, way that you do. There's no greater love than giving your life for your friends. Yeah. And sometimes mm-hmm. that doesn't mean death, like dying for your friends. It means giving what you your have. Your heart. Yes, your heart, who you are sacrificing, your heart, that broken heart and contrite spirit we talk about with Going to the Lord with that, it, it's two ways. It's not just the Lord. It's going to those around us as well, our fellow man, with that broken heart and saying, "What can I give? How can I serve? How can I help lift you up today?" Because ultimately, we are lifted up when we do that as well. It
0: was really interesting because you were saying that obviously Jesus was special in and how how he was created and the level of intelligence. He had, right? His ability to live celestial law perfectly upon receiving it. Um, and that if the plan was justice. That was enough. Yeah. This is like you said. like. He was he, good. He was perfectly justified yeah. in just exalting himself and in returning because he, he was worthy. Mm-hmm. The irony is that the plan is not justice, yeah. the plan is mercy, which means had he done that, he would have been no better than we were saying Lucifer's plan of yeah. of only those worthy being included in the plan to begin with. Yeah, that that, that could that could be exalted with no fear of,
1: of 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 the fall. But the celestial heavens couldn't reject him. They couldn't deny him, even even if he had chosen to do that, because he he met that man that that those demands of justice. Well, they couldn't. But in order for the fullness but, of the but the plan the,
0: plan, the yeah. plan was mercy exactly. So right. the yeah. Father's will.
1: Yeah was
0: that he'd be merciful
1: fair enough that's a good point
0: so that requ- I mean that so there was that requirement yeah but what but the that's the perfection of the plan is that by being perfect Jesus had the fullness of love that he would have done that anyways because that when you those intelligences were developed and perfected to such a degree, to such, to such charity that there was no other path they were going to follow celestial law the will of the Father perfectly because that Jesus, his intelligences Jehovah has an eternity of experiences and growth and perfections That that's just who he is he lives higher law. He is love. He is charity. There was no other option. There was no other path. It's it's what was going to happen because of who he was. Yeah. Was he worthy of his own exaltation? Yes. But that's not the plan. Yeah. That's not who the Father is, and therefore we know that's not who Jesus it
1: was. Well, and maybe the way to then tweak it is not only was he did he satisfy the demands of justice, but The additional things he had to develop going from grace to grace was now that you've satisfied those demands of justice. Now we need you to understand and develop the, the mercy and that infinite love and grace so that all can, can receive. Right? So it, it seems like maybe it's just taking it a step further. It's like, well, okay. I've, I've satisfied the demands of justice. What's next? Well, now we need you to live the higher law, right? fulfill fulfill the will of the Father in living a, a higher purpose, something that's greater, right? Ju- mercy overpowers justice. Now we need you to develop that, that perfect mercy, mm-hmm. and that perfect charity in your heart for everyone else to be able to come along with you.
0: We've got a few more scriptures here. Listen to him who is the advocate with the Father, who is pleading your cause before him, saying, Father, behold the sufferings and death of him who did no sin, in whom thou wast well pleased. Behold the blood of thy Son which was shed, the blood of him whom thou gavest that thyself might be glorified. Wherefore, Father, spare these my brethren that believe on my name, that they may come unto me and have everlasting life. So this is Christ, the advocate, our advocate with the Father. And this is what we are saying. Why is he able to make this case, to plead our cause? Because of who he is. Not just what he did, who he is having done it. This is why it works. He is in a position that mercy actually has weight. It has meaning. That it overpowers justice. And how beautiful are those words. Those are the words that the Savior, that Jesus is pleading on behalf of us. He established his gospel so that he could offer a covenant path where we can contractually hire him Mm -hmm. as our lawyer as our advocate advocate, for the father and if we make our payment if we are good on our terms of the covenants we are true and faithful to a repentant lifestyle and progress then he has agreed to be our advocate and use his character and his works on our behalf. And we can then be considered perfect through him. And that is acceptable. Yeah. That meets the laws of justice through mercy that overpowers justice through mercy. He has the power to do that. And he has given that power to us. If we choose, we can now use our agency in the lower sphere in which we exist and our as lower intelligences that have not developed that perfection yet on our own, we can still have access to his perfection. And, and, and that's what eternal progression means, that there can be continued progression. And even though we might not obtain perfection during this short experience, this short mortal probation, the short life that we have now, we can continue progressing in the eternities and continue to have opportunities eternal life eternal lives that is available to all of us even though we're less than perfect but there are contractual covenant covenantal terms that we can meet that are within our capabilities yeah and that opens up the eternities to us yeah. that is the grace that is that is the atonement
1: of Jesus Christ well and that's one of the most beautiful things that I've come to learn about the covenants we make in the temple and, and obviously at baptism as well, but then, but then fulfilling the covenants we make in the temple is those covenants are so simple. And so within our grasp that we are capable of executing on and, and, and living those covenants, but it doesn't stop there because as you then do that, your love, your ability, your, your desire, it deepens, it grows. You become, um, better able to More perfectly, more adequately, live the law, be obedient, you know. And as you do that, then you kind of reconsider those covenants. Okay, what does it mean now to fulfill this covenant? What does it mean to fulfill that covenant? You know, for instance, you know, law of consecration. We may live that a certain way today, but as we improve, as we get better, as we become more righteous, now the Spirit may instill within us say, hey, maybe we could do a little more. Maybe we can actually give more. Maybe we can actually fulfill that covenant more and so that we're constantly able to not only live those covenants we make yeah. but that through time and through 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 actions through wisdom we gain we're able to now more fully live those covenants and as we're doing that we are on the path towards him as it says here truly being our advocate and allowing us to bypass the demands of justice and to receive a celestial glory with him through his merits, Mm -hmm. right? Doesn't mean we didn't do anything to be part of that, but ultimately it was his merits that grant us the mercy needed to bypass justice. But all that's needed is within our grasp. It's Mm -hmm. simple. And as you live it, you'll understand it more and you can live it more perfectly. And then as you understand that better, it deepens and you live it more perfectly. And that's the way it's supposed to be and
0: there's there's another set of verses in the doctrine of covenants that explains that through the atonement through the grace of Jesus Christ to attain to a particular level of glory of course we know that there's laws associated with with the different levels of glory but we have to be we have to be able to attain to a portion of that glory so if, if we are to attain to terrestrial glory During our probation, we need to attain to a portion of terrestrial glory. If we want to attain to celestial glory, we have to attain to a portion of celestial glory, and it's then through the atonement, through grace, we can receive a fullness of that glory. Of course, with the expectation that we're going to eternally be working and progressing towards that fullness on our own, but we we can inherit or receive the the blessings as though we had lived the fullness of the law through the grace of jesus christ and that's that should be our focus right if we expect ourselves to be perfect now we're going to be frustrated we're going to right that that's a difficult path to maintain if we understand mercy and we understand grace that enables us to accept ourselves as who we are and work towards being better yeah with the faith in Jesus Christ, believing in His name that he is who he claimed to be, that he, that he is that being that can overpower justice with his mercy. And and, and and that's what avail is available to us. So first we need to learn to live right? a portion of obedience and sacrifice then we can grow in that we need to learn a portion of the law of the gospel how to truly loving truths and loving our neighbors then we have to learn a portion of the law of consecration how to how do we consecrate ourselves how do we consecrate our our, uh, our the, the material blessings temporal blessings that we have how do we consecrate our our heart to the kingdom it's interesting that when we make those covenants, there's not some full explanation on those laws, right? There's an ex. The expectation is we have to learn. We have to study. We have to learn. We have to grow into them. Yeah. We have to discover them. And that's really only happens through revelation. They're in the scriptures, but it's not the words that teach it to you. It has to enter into your heart and then you can apply it and live and and live. So, you're studying it comes first, but as you study it and as different elements of it enter into your heart, then you're able to live it and acquire greater portions of, of, of that glory, of that law. And that's the revelatory process that we get out of the temple. Those are the keys that we receive through the ordinances, is the ability to live by the Word of God, to live by personal revelation, and constantly be gaining greater understanding of the higher laws in a way that enters into our heart converts our heart allows us enables us to live those higher laws a little more fully as as we gain experience as we progress and that's how through the eternities that's how we're going to eventually reach the perfection that God desires for us doesn't have a, doesn't have to happen today or tomorrow we just have to be progressing in the direction and the plan is good. Yeah. The plan works. The plan, we, we will get there. Yeah. The plan is perfect. Our advocate, the mercy, is perfect. We do our part. It's within our means. We're capable of doing it. The, the covenants are designed for us to grow into them and for us to be able to, at the very least, live a portion of those laws to attain to, attain to that glory. And it's all available to us we have to want it. We have to seek it. We have to put it into our hearts. We have to be constantly progressing, living that repentant lifestyle and, and the rest falls into place.
1: Yeah. That's, that's why when, when we say you have to feast upon the words of Christ, right? To receive that greater portion, that, that, that revelation we seek. Why is it feasting upon? Because it, it sustains, it provides life. It it provides what you need to survive, right? And that idea of having just a portion of a terrestrial or a celestial light is what's needed to to obtain at some point a fullness of that truth. Christ gave us examples of that all throughout the scriptures because what does he require? Okay, we have to give what we can, repent, have the broken heart, contrite spirit, give what you can, live the law the best you can. When he feeds, you know, the 5,000 with, with the loaves and the fishes, what does he first ask his disciples? How much do you have? What do you have? What can you gather? You know? And they say, well, we have, (laughs) we have this and that, you know, essentially whatever the Bible was. And he did this actually several different times in the scriptures. It's not much. Is that all we have? Is that the best you have? Yes. It's what we have. I will make it enough. Right. And that's what DNC is teaching us is if you have a portion of celestial light and truth within you. If you can live a portion of that and, and you're giving if it all- If you bring God, what you have. Yes, bring what you have. Have a have a repentant lifestyle to accompany that. Christ can take the rest. He, he can take what you have and he, he makes the rest good enough.
0: I'll just share this last scripture here. Doctrine and Covenants 19. For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer, even as I. Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain, and to bleed at every pore, and to suffer both body and spirit. And would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Nevertheless, glory be to the Father. And I partook, and finished my preparations unto the children of men. That's the atonement. That's who he was. That's who he is. And that's what he did. And that is why mercy overpowers justice. And Christ's entire life was a buildup and a preparation for this work. And he only finished his work When he willingly went to the cross, gave his life, and then was able to proceed with the keys of death to resurrection and, and to the glory of the Father.
1: The to kind of to kind of bring this back full circle with how we started. I'm just trying to think of the best way to to put all this together, but this whole idea of celestial beings, perfected, exalted beings who have reached the culmination of what all other intelligences seek. They desire for all to partake of that in which they have. It's fullness of charity. It is a fullness of charity. And, and in order for that to to take place, there must be a law, there must be justice in place. Otherwise it would be pure chaos. There must be that law. There must be justice, but all of these intelligences seek to have what they have. And so there must be a bridge. There must be a way in which lesser, lesser intelligences, lesser light must through, through time and through agency right through acting in accordance with and in, in the sphere in which they were organized to act that they can develop and grow towards that light. And that's what we're seeking to do as sons and daughters, spiritual sons and daughters of God is to take what we've been given the sphere that we've been organized in and, and act in agency to move towards that light. But all of those intelligences who are not exalted and celestial will never be able to get to that point on their own. None of them will. And this is what we've been trying to say throughout this whole thing is the reason the atonement works, the necessity for the atonement is it takes all intelligence, all that has been organized underneath the father, and it moves it all in unison, all knowing and all having faith in because of Jesus Christ, because of his atonement because of him as the mediator and the bridge, he now has provided a path for all of God's organizations to move towards a greater light and to move towards that exalted state in which all of his creations yearn for and desire to receive. Christ is the center of all of that. He and, and who he was and is as the literal son of God puts him in a unique position to satisfy both those who have an exalted state of being and those of us down here who don't but desperately yearn for it. His choices, his actions, and his love bridges that gap if we choose to accept it, if we reach up and allow him to lift us to loftier spheres of, of celestial living. And he is that path forward. That's what we're trying to to testify of, of the atonement is all things would be utterly wasted. It would not just be you and me or the sons and daughters of God. If Christ had not done and accomplished what he accomplished, all of God's creations, all that he has organized would have been utterly wasted in this eternity. It would have been good for nothing, but because of who he was, all things look to him and he has dominion and power over all things because of who he is and his special unique place as being able to bridge the divide through the mercy and the grace that he provides.
0: I've been very blessed in my life and I've been blessed to receive a witness of the restoration of the church of Jesus Christ, restoration of his gospel. And with that comes knowledge of him as the savior and the work that he has done. And honestly, I feel, I feel I have such a long way to go to truly comprehend the atonement and truly be able to have the gratitude that it deserves. It's something that I, I desire and that I, I, I seek to grow in every day, but I have enough to know that it's true. I have been given that much, and I'm, I'm so grateful for what Jesus did for me. And I'm grateful to have these glimpses and understandings of the eternal plan. To understand who and what I am. Understand that I have an eternal history building up to this moment. That's meaningful to me. Understanding who I am, where I am, why I'm here, how I got here. That's a very important context that empowers me and it motivates me. And it puts me in a mindset to really want to take advantage of this moment. And I get strength from that. So I'm grateful for the scriptures. I'm grateful for these doctrines that they're a little uh, little metaphysical at times, right? There, there's, a, there's a lot of context behind them. Um, they can be a little surreal, a little um, abstract at first. But the more that I've studied and, and dug into these concepts, I've found great meaning in them. And it has had an impact on, on me and my ability to follow the Savior and try to apply His teachings in my life. And one of the great revelations I've received is truly about what it means uh, to have integrity. And we talked about the honor of God, the honor that Jesus Christ has. Why 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 does the universe obey him? Well, it's because he has integrity. He's true to his word. And and that understanding of his character and who he is that has been a very empowering concept to me in my life as well. Because what I get out of that is I do not know all things, but I can be true to my word. I can have integrity. And the gospel of Jesus Christ and the salvation that Jesus Christ offers us, right the fact that we can receive a fullness if we attain to a portion of, of, of celestial glory, what that means to me, what I get out of that Is that I can make covenants, promises, and all that's required of me at that point is to be true to my word. Is that I have integrity, meaning I make a true, honest, good faith effort. I might have doubts, I might have things that don't make sense and I'm confused about, I might have trials. I might have things down the road. I might have things that shake my faith. There are all sorts of things that we see take people off the path and move them away from light, away from the Savior, into darkness. And we lament over that, and we we cry for those who who wander from the gospel. But what understanding understanding that true nature and the integrity of God and the integrity of Jesus Christ. What that empowers me with is that even if I have doubts or even if I have trials and I have moments of where my faith is shaken, what I have learned is that I can just place my integrity as my foundation. And I have made covenants and I have made promises. And if I am true to my, if I'm just true to my word, if I have integrity, the fullness of the blessings are available to me. And that concept and that, that approach to living the gospel has been so powerful in my life. And it has lifted me up. And just understanding the character of God and the integrity of God, that has given me something that I can seek to emulate. And I have seen myself progress and grow in my capacity to live my covenants. And I have experienced a greater fullness of joy and of the Spirit, a greater presence of the Lord in my life, and a greater capacity to commune with Him. And that is my testimony, that the Atonement is real, and it's something that we can take advantage of in our lives. And it's not just what He did, it's who He is having done it. And it's His character, and it's that fullness of love, that fullness of integrity, that I... That I adore, that I worship, and that I seek to emulate in my life. And I I know that his character is true, and I find I find personal power in that. And I share that in the name of Jesus Christ.
1: Amen. Amen. And I might just quickly just add and second that to it is strange and humbling to think that this 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 entity, this person that we have described in Christ and who he is and what he has done and how all things look to him for salvation, how yet he is capable of and willing to have that unique individual relationship with you so that he can transform you as an individual and turn you into a a new creature, a better creature, and to prepare you to return and to be with him and somehow he does that one by one you know it's it's not a a mass salvation event right he does it individually one at a time and and both of us can can testify of the love and the grace and the mercy that he provides but for me individually the unique experience i've had to to have to take advantage of his atonement in ways that Um, required such complete humility and faith in him and trust in him, hoping that there would be something reciprocated and then ultimately receiving a culmination of that hope and that faith in, in the understanding and and the knowing that what I have done and the things I have gone through that there is grace and that there is forgiveness and that there is a remission of those things and that Christ willingly takes those upon himself and that he did that for me, you know, he does that specifically for me as an individual. And I know that the things I've done and the things I continue to do, he's personally taken upon himself. And, and the fact that he's able to do that, at such a unique individual, personal level. It changes who you are to realize an entity like that will do it for you and for all who, who allow him to, who, who follow him and come after him and, and seek to receive of that same grace and that same mercy. And that's available to all within the sound of of our voice. And when you receive that grace and that mercy and, and you start to apply the atonement into your life, you, you literally can become a new person. And that's something I think both of us can testify of is that, you know, people don't change well, Christ can change people like you, you do a little bit of your part. You, you give up your heart a little bit and yeah, on your own, without anybody else, you wouldn't change, but with Christ, you could change. And he'll make you into a new creature. And I testify of him in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Amen.